in prayer, please. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us soul searching that will be fed with rivers of living water. Father, we look at our brother here and, and understand that he is giving us the definition of ministry. Father, may we who are called by your name this day rejoice that we've been called. And yet, Father, that we've been given the privilege to be ambassadors for God through Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to understand the urgency of this day. But, Father, help us to be humble servants, table waiters to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Beginning in verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Very powerful three verses here, but I, I, we need to listen to it because when I look at the day and the age here in our country, um, it's almost like everything is a ministry. And yet what I've realized is, is that very little of it is a ministry. I mean, it, it's something to do, keeps us busy. But when you really look at what we're supposed to be trying to deal with, it is having absolutely no effect. Uh, and it's consistent. I mean, I, I can look at it by its fruit. Okay. When I go back through this, I started out that there are three key words here besides the one that shows up five times. In three verses, five times, reconciliation or a form of it is written in those verses. Um, I'm, I'm not a theologian and I didn't sleep at the Holiday Inn. But if I got one word... And three verses repeated five times. I'm thinking he's trying to get a point across. All right. But the keys to this is if you come back across it, 20 to 18, one was ambassador. An ambassador is sent out from a government or royalty, and he speaks on behalf of that government and or that royalty. The message that he has is not his own. The message that he has is the message from the government that he is representing. Secondly, you see the word load, word there. That word is logos. Okay. Logos means truth. Okay. It is trustworthy. Uh, it is root word that you and I get logic from. See, logic is based on truth. This is trustworthy. If I jump out this window right now, trustworthy, I will go down. Okay. That is truth. It is trustworthy. Okay, so we have the word of reconciliation committed to us as ambassadors. Okay, which brings us to what is our ministry. Okay, ministry is the root word that we get deacon from. Okay, a deacon was a table waiter. So basically, if you look at what ministry is, what are we? We are serving the word of God, be reconciled. To the table of sinners. 
Okay, anything we do besides that is not ministry. I'm sorry. I mean, people get, I can't believe it. No, that's it. It's it in a nutshell. It's it in a nutshell. And that's what we need to understand here. In your outline, you'll see that reconciliation is by God. We saw that in verse 18. This was God's idea. Now, all of these things are from God. What are all of these things? 14 to 17. The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf that's it in a nutshell brothers and sisters and yet if anyone is in christ he's a new creation old things have passed away behold new things have come now all of these things are from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and upon doing so has given us a ministry Okay, that's what I've been trying to tell Christians for over 18 years. Okay, if you're saved, you're in the ministry. And sometimes I don't think I'm having any luck at it. Some other times I feel like I'm being extraordinarily successful at it. Okay, secondly, reconciliation is forgiveness. Verse 19 is a quick just... Review, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word, the logos of reconciliation. Okay? You've got to get a hold of that. I'm not counting your trespasses against you. I'm not counting your sins against you. When he steps into the ministry of reconciliation, theologians call it the doctrine of justification. I call it the doctrine of forgiveness. Okay, until forgiveness is applied, you cannot be clothed in righteousness. But because of what Christ did on the cross, then God has applied the ministry of reconciliation to us. The ministry that reconciles us is the ministry of forgiveness, not counting our trespasses against us. And now we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's why Jeremiah can say that your sins are as far as the east is from the west and that I will remember them no more. Why? When Christ looks at a Christian today, all he sees is his righteousness. That's why he can hang on a cross and say, it is finished. It's not in the process of being finished. It is finished. Which brings me to verse 20, because it starts out with that wonderful word. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, so this forgiveness that he speaks of in verse 19, not counting their trespasses against them, comes to the sinner. Now, you got to get a hold of this because I have watched this thing get messed up. This forgiveness comes to the sinner only when the sinner believes. Okay? See, God authors it. God accomplishes it. And He does it by declaring forgiveness. 
by declaring justification. But it is never apart from the sinner's faith. Okay? So when you think about ministry, then you can look at it and say, we call sinners to faith. I've made the comment before, and in all my years of life, I've never met anybody who doesn't have any faith. Everybody I know has faith. Okay? The key is, what's your faith in? Okay? Because we look around us, we got faith in everything. I, I was coming down the hill this morning, and all the little bicycle guys were out, and uh, I was testing their faith. Just smile at them and hang out the window and say, feeling lucky? (laughs) Okay? So I didn't blow the horn or nothing. So, but that's the kind of stuff that, that I sit and I watch. And when I think that we are ambassadors and it is God pleading. You know what word pleading there is? Paracleto. That's a term used of the Holy Spirit. He is beseeching. And what is amazing is the parakaleo of God is calling them through you and us. From us. Have you ever thought about that? It is as if God in the parakaleo is using you and I because we are ministers calling to the sinner. I have some people, uh, a lady in this church that I've been praying for her sons for uh, pretty close 18 years for their salvation. And, And there's times she gets a little discouraged. And, uh, and I, I just smile at her and I said, as long as they take breath, they can be reached. When they step into eternity, you're done. You're done. I'm meeting with a, a, a man who lost his wife a couple of months ago. And uh, he asked me, is, is my wife saved? I said, I don't know. I said, but I can't tell you this. That's not the issue now. The issue is you and your son. Are you saved? And that was the last question I asked him and haven't heard back from him. But, you know, because it's irrelevant now. So as long as a person is alive on this planet, they can be saved. And and you and I have to pay attention to that because we are God pleading. We are God in the parakaleo coming forward to people. We are calling the sinner to faith and we beg you on behalf of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that ought to, that verse right there ought to change your view of evangelism. We, uh, I heard uh, a guy describe the evangelical church in America, remind him of a river in Alaska. And I was like, what? He said, you know, frozen over at the mouth. You know, we're afraid we're going to say something and be rejected. Jesus said something, they crucified him. 
John the Baptist wouldn't be quiet. Go check out the disciples. And all of a sudden, you, you're worried about your anguish? And what he's saying is that it is because of God that we have a ministry. The word has been entrusted to us. And on behalf of God, we are pleading, we are begging the sinner be reconciled to God through Christ. Reconciliation is God's word. I agree. Reconciliation is authored by God. I agree. Reconciliation is, is the source of God. Absolutely. It is the power of God and it is the act of justification, the act of absolute forgiveness by God. Okay? Yeah, you don't have anything to do with it. All you do is plead and beg. Sinner, be reconciled. Be reconciled to God. We ask the sinner, be reconciled. When you look at this, it ought to amaze you. Do you realize that God is begging sinners through us be reconciled to Him? That's astounding. How does a sinner do that? Well, God becomes believing in Jesus. God is then the just and the justifier. Listen, they ain't everybody in here, I would say easily, if I went through and say, you, 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 you believe in Jesus Christ, and they would all, we would all say yes. Yeah, I believe. Why? I celebrate Christmas. Got to believe in Jesus, right? Ain't that his bar mitzvah? Okay, ain't that what we do? But you know what? I can look at some of you and say, I look in your life and your faith ain't in Christ. Because if I believe in the person of Jesus Christ, Romans 3.26 says that I believe in him, therefore God is the just and the justifier, and he does it to those who believe. If you don't believe, and I'm talking about a faith with feet, James, and I'll deal with that in a minute. If that ain't there, you can say it all day long. Some of you remember in my former life, I was kind of a bad person. And I remember doing all of those horrible things that I used to do. And I always carried a Bible with me. Seems sort of odd, don't it? To take a suitcase full of cocaine and move your Bible off of it so you can weigh it out. That's a tad bit weird. Now that I look at it, but I carried that silly thing like a rabbit's foot. If you'd have asked me, I'd have said, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus too. Let me ask you a question. If you seen me, would you believe that? Well, she's got a Bible. You know, that's like going and getting up behind somebody who's cutting in and out of traffic, but they got a fish on their bumper. That means car's saved. That's, that's nuts, people. We are calling for faith. Okay, and I want to give you some things to chew on. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, 112, 
But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Okay. Anytime you see in his name, that is all that he is. Okay. Now listen, if, if you've got to badger somebody to go to church, guess what? They don't believe in his name. Okay. If they don't read the Bible, they don't believe in his name. I don't have to, if I've got to make you read your Bible, your problem isn't the fact you're not reading your Bible. Your problem is you don't believe in him. And he has given the right to those who believe in him. Those he gave that right to. Where does the right come from? From God. But it only comes from to those who believe in his name. If I need to know all that he is, I should probably go to his book. But I've noticed that we have the ability to create him in our own image. I remember a testimony of somebody one time that said that, uh, you know, I looked him up. And we've been buddies ever since. What the heck does that mean? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm saved. I looked him up. Does it, what, did you Google him? What do you mean you looked him up? And we've been buddies ever since. You know, I remember a Russian pastor telling me one time, he said he prays for us because in, in America, you add Christ to your life. He says in Russia, Christ is life. And, you know, he's right. It still is. So when I think about this, I think about it as a matter of faith. What we do. Because we are saved, because we have been reconciled to God through Christ. We preach the message of reconciliation to sinners and we beg them be reconciled to God through the means which God himself has provided. I remember talking to a Jewish friend of mine. Um, He He's what we would call semi-practicing. And he said, well, it's not that big a deal. He said, if Jesus, as you believe, returns to the earth the second time, I'll just ask him if he's been here before. And it kind of broke my heart. I was like, you know, you've got some information there, but you've got just enough information to hang yourself. Okay. But I can look in Christendom and see the same thing. I walked an aisle. I've got to be saved. Dude, I've said the sinner's prayer 400 times. I know I'm saved. I remember the day that I got baptized, the guy that I got baptized with, and I was biblically stupid. I mean, you have no idea. Uh, When they told me to start reading my Bible in the middle, I can't think, what what kind of clowns are you? (laughs) But anyway. And I, he was getting baptized, and you know, I was excited. And he says, yeah, that's pretty cool. And he says, this is my fifth time. Yeah, fifth time. And, and said, I didn't know nothing about baptizing. We have to do this like monthly? What is this? I don't understand this fifth time thing. And he, evidently, he was just trying to make sure by getting baptized. 
And you just sit there and you go, fifth time? You know, and at that time, like I said, the only thing I knew about Scripture was that Jesus was baptized and something about some pigeon or dove came down and John the Baptist got freaked out. And I thought, that's kind of cool. If Jesus can get baptized and it says I'm supposed to get baptized, I'm in. That's all I knew. That, That was the extent of my theology. Okay. And then he tells me five times and I'm sitting there going, five times. Dude, do I have to like wear a bathing suit to church? What are we doing here? We preach the message of reconciliation to sinners and we beg them to be reconciled to God. But we beg them to be reconciled to God through the means which God himself has provided. There is no other way. I try to tell people that there is millions and millions and millions innumerable ways to Jesus Christ. One to God. Okay, every one of us who is truly saved in this room had a different path that we ended up to Christ. But it was only through the person of Christ that we got to God. Okay, this is what theologians call objective part of faith. What is the focus of my faith? Reconciliation, justification, absolute forgiveness through the completed work of Jesus Christ takes you into the throne room of God the Father. Okay? It's as simple as Paul says in Romans 5. If we confess with our mouth. What? Well, you can't call it, say Jesus unless you are saved. That's not true. I've been on construction sites. They all call on Jesus at some point. All right? But the question is, and I, I want to ask you today, do you really believe that God raised him from the dead? Because that's part of it. See, that's the objective side. Do you really believe that? Because if you do, then my next question is, then what problem can you have? I mean, if he's only raising the dead, your problem is what? But I take it from he raised him from the dead. Then you confess with your mouth him as. Lord, you understand Lord, curious. Okay, absolute ruler. It's easy to see what rules a person's life. Did you know that? Easy to see. Okay, and you know, if I, you want to really stir up some stuff, there's only two rulers. I, I know we... I don't worship Lucifer. Yeah, you do. (laughs) I've said that to people before. They just don't really know what to do with themselves. Okay? You're either being ruled by Christ or Satan. You can be morally good, but you're still ruling by Satan. Okay, then the subjective part. The subjective part, I I, I try to get these, these really smart people... Can you bring it down to earth? And uh, they can't. That's why they're really smart. They're, they're just hovering. 
<laughs> just they're hovering. So I want to take you to the book of James. The book of James, chapter four. Chapter four. When I hear a theologian tell me, well, you're dealing with the subjective and the objective part of faith. The objective part is what is the object of my faith? Really simple. Christ. Completed work of Jesus Christ by the authority of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the plan of God, through everything that Jesus Christ did. That's pretty simple. And I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? And I confess with my mouth that He is Lord. Okay? And I press my life to live Him ruling me. Okay? But when we get in... To the subjective part of it, you get start getting this kind of mission thing. So here's how I would describe it. I will call it the attitude of your faith. What is the attitude of your faith? And uh, James 4 kind of nails this thing down. Verse 8, just with, I mean, we're talking 16-penny nail and a 12-pound sledge. Okay, you don't even have to hit the nail. You can hit beside it and scare it into the wood. All right, here's what it says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. So does everybody feel happy right now? Because the attitude of that faith is very evident in humanity and or the lack of it. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Mourn and weep over sin and humble yourselves. Wow. Okay. You know, I can get rid of the middle section and say, just humble yourself. Walk out of here right now and say, I'm going to be humble. Just try it. (laughs) All right. But when you look at it, if you draw near to God, how can you not be humble? If you draw near to God, how can you not cleanse your hands? If you draw near to God, how can you not mourn and weep over your sin? If you draw near to God, how can you not? How can you have any ounce of pride in anything? And yet they ain't a person around here who doesn't. Well, they just don't appreciate me. Anybody ever thought that? You know what that is? Well, let me tell you what. It's not humility. Okay, and, and yet that's what we do. That's what we do. I was thinking about that this morning. I thought, you know what? I've had 18 years here. 18 years. And you know what? It is this pulpit. Carry it with me wherever I go. <laughs> no. And I thought, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't get it, Lord. I'm, 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 if you look up in the dictionary, long-suffering, it's my picture. No, God's long-suffering with me. I tried to move him six times, and the guy is just thick. 
We come before God. We believe in the work of Jesus Christ. We see our sin, our depravity. I love the word depravity. Depravity means found useless for its intended purpose. Okay, now we'll throw it out there. That's just depravity. You know what that means? Found useless for what it was designed to do. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. And yet that's where you and I stand. And yet, how many times have you ever mourned or wept over your sin? Not we, we can weep over other people's sin. I was driving my car home the other day and I was going down the hill there in Founders and this bookcase came out of the back of this pickup truck, slid across the highway and went bang right in the front end of my car. Guy just went... And I'm sitting there and I, I killed that bookcase, though. Don't you kid yourself. Okay. So, so you pull off to the side of it and I was like, I wonder why he didn't tie that down. I mean, normally if I got stuff in the back of my truck that it's kind of tall, uh, they got these really cool things like straps. Or, you know, I don't know. Truck driver, are you? <laughs> so anyway... But you know what is amazing to me? I didn't get mad about it. Now, if you'd have known me 30 years ago, (laughs) you know I'm turning the car around we're going to fix this. Okay? And yet I was like, well, whatever. And the next thing I know, the guy shows up and comes and gives me a bunch of paper his insurance number, phone numbers, all these other things. He gives them to me. I say, thank you. And he goes, no problem. And goes off and I'm sitting there going, that makes me a little nervous. But anyway, so, so I call, you know, I wait a week. Nobody calls me. So I call the insurance or the insurance number. No such number. So I call the homeowner's number. No such that number has been disconnected. And you're going down to this big old long list saying, and why'd you turn around? <laughs> That seems kind of dumb to me (laughs) to give me a whole bunch of bogus numbers. (laughs) Okay. It has been resolved. I talked to my insurance man and he knew the companies that the way their policy number was written. And so I called them, give them the name. They said, oh, they got a different policy now. And here's a different number now. And here's anyway, they're getting it fixed. But but I, I didn't lose my temper over it. Okay. And yet, how many times do we do that? Why? Because if you draw near to God, then you'll humble yourself. And you'll mourn over sin. But I don't have... I watch Christians who want to mourn over everybody's sin. Oh, the president said this. I can't believe it. Oh, my God. Hey, you know, this guy's doing this. My neighbor's wife is on it. And they go off and on and on. I'm saying, well, what about you? What about you? Because if I'm drawing near to God, one of the things that I've learned, my sin shows up. Okay? And it just makes me uncomfortable. And I have to go before... You know, people say, well, Terry, you were just in such a black place that when you came to the light, it was amazing. And I was like, then you should come to the light. Because I don't care what your black place is. There's no degrees of total depravity. 
We come before God. We believe in the work of Jesus Christ. We see our sins, our depravity, and we plead for God's mercy. If you have not done that, you're not His. It's that simple. Listen, there has got to be a place in your life where you beg God for mercy. And if you think just walking an aisle or getting some goosebumps on your arms was it, you were as deceived as many more. We are ambassadors for Christ. We, God who is paracoletoing through us, begging. Okay, the word begging in our text means to ask for a specific thing. To ask for a specific thing. In Acts 16, you can kind of see this kind of unfold for you. The first converts in Europe. And it happened as we were going from place to place. No, wait, let's do 31. Because he had gotten to uh, Lydia and the city of Thyatira, from the city of Thyatira. And then they got arrested for converting people. And then he runs into the Philippian jailer. Awoke, saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. All the jail doors was busted wide open, and they're all still sitting in there. Paul cried in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. Okay? He called for lights, and he rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, Sirs... What must I do to be saved? You notice that there's something there that you don't see in quote unquote salvation in America today. Where is the falling down in fear? My Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of salvation. And I'll be honest with you. I just don't see that anymore. Now, I know when I came to salvation, I was very afraid. But the jailer comes in and he says, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved in your household. He spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all of those who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed He washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized in all of his household. He believed. See, that's our ministry. That's what we're about. That's what we do. We call people. Specifically, we beg them. Be reconciled to God. Okay, what does it mean to be reconciled to God? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Mourn over your sin. Be cleansed and purified. Therefore, you will draw near to God. He will draw near to you and you will humble yourself. Okay, so the question then all of a sudden shows up. If he's just and justifier, how in the world does a holy God bring about reconciliation to depravity? What made it possible? What did Christ do to satisfy God's justice. You've got to understand something about God's justice. There was no plea bargain. Okay? 
If God is just, absolutely just, then there cannot be a plea bargain. That will say, this rule I laid down is bendable. That's not justice. That is not justice. How did he do it? Well, I thought you'd never ask. He can be just and justifier. Okay, just means I've set the standard. It's non-negotiable. Okay, justifier means that I have now made the ability to you stand just. Okay. Well, theologians call it, Paul calls it this too. And I love this word because I have such a hard time saying it. Propitiation. Okay. Um, I, being that I am a minister to rednecks, like substitution. (laughs) I can say substitution easier. When you look in Romans and you run across the word propitiation, if you go back to the Septuagint, you'll find out Septuagint is a Greek translation uh, of the Old Testament. You will find that that word means mercy seat. Okay? That's fascinating. Because Jesus Christ is our substitute. That's why God can be just and justifier. He can justly not count our sins against us. Think about that for a second. Let that ponder around in your head. And because he can now not count our sins against us, he can put his righteousness on us. When you hear the word righteousness, always think about this. Right standing before God. Listen, I, <laughs> this is one amazing, a bodacious, phantasmagorical reality, people. You should be able to walk out of here without touching the ground. Just because of that. Because what Christ did, I now stand in the righteousness that is God. That's how he is just. His law was never compromised, but he is justifier because of what he did through his son, Jesus Christ. That is what our ministry is. And you know, when I I hear people say, well, we should be doing this, we should be doing it. No, we should be begging people to be reconciled to God. Um, I'm just going to touch on this for a second because it's in verse 21. I will be spending probably four and a half to five weeks on verse 21. Okay. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for on our behalf that we would become the righteousness of God in him. <laughs> oh, man. On our behalf. We became his righteousness. Christ had to be made sin. Christ had to die our death. Christ had to suffer 
our punishment that was due us. That's why First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He bore on the cross for us. By His wounds, we are healed. We live to righteousness because of what He suffered. You know what? I honestly can tell you, I know no greater miracle. Holy, just, perfect God reconciling depravity. I created it to worship me and it's found useless. But now I can make it stand in the righteousness that is me. That ain't a miracle. The entire basis of sinner's reconciliation to God is substitution. Christ's death. Bearing our sin. Eli, Eli, Lamasa Bakhtani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one thing that Christ suffered that you and I can't. Unless you don't know him. Punishment that was due for us, Christ did. He took that punishment. He took it completely. Okay? And that freed God to grant us His righteousness. Forgiveness. You know what? That's the heart of the gospel. And I find it fascinating this day and age. I know pastors right now who cannot articulate that to me. And I'm still trying to figure out what does that mean? B.B. Warfield said this, <laughs> quote, Substitution is the heart of the heart of the gospel. And it is. And because of that, you and I are now ambassadors. Through God, paracoletoing sinners be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. I heard a person tell me the other day, I'm going to take an evangelistic class. I said, a what? He said, an evangelistic class. Learn how to share the gospel. That's spooky. If you got to go to school to learn how to share the gospel, you maybe you need to learn what the gospel is. Perhaps. We have the message of reconciliation through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, and we beg sinners to be reconciled to God who has provided reconciliation to and God is pleading through us to be reconciled. And I hear the corny jokes. I listen to it. Well, hell ain't that bad. I'll be with all my friends. I just smile at him and say, you won't know it. What? You won't know it. I said, you look around and everything you see is the hand of God. And understand this. This is all gone because you're separated from the presence of God for eternity. And then you walk away and watch their little heads go. There will be nothing there that you can recognize that would give you any semblance of who God is. And why don't we have a passion to beg people? You don't want to go there. Yosemite Sam is not ruling that place. It is black. There is eternal weeping. There is eternal gnashing of teeth. There is eternal 
torment. There is a place where the worms will feast on your flesh forever because of your immortal body. It will never cease. Do you not understand that? Then be reconciled to God. And I listen to what we classify as ministry today. And I'm asking a simple question. Is that being said? Well, sin offends people. Dude, you ought to see what it did to Christ. Remember I told you guys a couple weeks ago that there were several pastors in this town who believed that pro-choice is okay. I didn't even know where to begin. It's too political. Political. Well, yeah, anytime you bring up abortion, it has a political aspect to it. I said, well, let me ask you a simple question. Since when is murder political? Some people just don't like me around. Sinners be reconciled. All we do is direct towards the faith of sinners who can be reconciled to God. It's like I said, brothers and sisters, I've never met a human being who doesn't have faith. Okay? As a minister, as an ambassador, it is my responsibility to point that faith to the complete work of Jesus Christ, that they will be reconciled to God through Christ's completed work. Listen. That's ministry. That's ministry. That's our call. That's our reason for living. That is why we are still here. I had somebody ask me that. Why I got saved? Why am I still here? Hello. To beg sinners to be reconciled to God. Okay. And in verse 21, if my calculations are correct in the original language, there's 15 words in there that tells us how the substitution happened. In 15 words, you think about that. Total depravity reconciled to holy, perfectly just God in 15 words. We'll go through that in a few weeks. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the ministry. Thank you for our brother Paul who lays this out so simply for us. And Father, may we understand that reconciliation is of you. Father, may we understand that reconciliation is the absolute forgiveness of sin. And Father, may we understand that reconciliation is the obedience of faith. Father, help us. Help us who are called by your name. Help us, who those of us who have been reconciled. Help us stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And help us to be bold in our proclamation of the awesome truth of the gospel. Lord, may our love for you grow with every breath you grace us. Father, may every one of us walk worthy of this calling. To your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen.